the drive to create things. You're a writer, a photographer, a musician, a maker. You're ready to make things happen. But chasing creative isn't always easy. Your time and energy go to your work, your family, and your life. Is it really possible to make space for the creative in your everyday? Here at the Chasing Creative Podcast, we believe you can. We're everyday creatives who have insights and action steps you can take today to make your creative plans happen. I'm Ashley Brooks, a freelance writer and editor at Brooks Editorial and a work-at-home mom of three. I spend my creative time working on a novel and occasionally doing some knitting. And I'm Abigail Creeps, the writer and photographer behind Inkwells and Images. I'm also a work-at-home mom of one, learning to balance work and home and trying to find a little bit of time to work on something just for fun. And you're listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. Welcome to the Chasing Creative Podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to invite you to share your thoughts with us through a listener survey. We've been producing this podcast since 2016, and a lot has changed since then. Not only are there three, soon to be four, more children between us since we started Chasing Creative, we have plenty of new listeners, and we know things have changed in your lives, too. We're constantly tweaking this podcast so that it works for our lives, but it's important that Chasing Creative continues to be helpful to you, too. Our survey is short and sweet and will be open now through January 31st. We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and feedback as we plan for the future of the podcast. Just head to the show notes of this episode in your podcast app or at chasingcreative.com to grab the survey link. We can't wait to hear from you. Now, on to our episode all about books. One of our favorite things to talk about on the podcast is always books, and especially at the end when we get to talk to guests and hear what they've been reading or what's really impacted their creative lives. So clearly, one of our favorite things to do for the podcast is to record an episode entirely about books without an interview even. (laughs) Yes, we are always so excited to do this. So we are just going to jump right in talking about our reading goals and some of the best and maybe not best books that we read this year. (laughs) And uh, then we'll share a little bit about our reading lives and how we actually get the reading done. So let's start by talking about our reading goals for 2019. How did you do on that, Abby? Yeah. So reading goals is always kind of weird to me because I I don't feel like I actually set goals for myself. Like I want to read this many books, but I tended to set a goal on Goodreads just so that Goodreads will stop asking me to at the beginning of the year. I don't know if that's true for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I set a numerical goal of 50 books um, just to get it to stop asking me the question, knowing that 50 books is an extremely doable number for me. I wasn't going to be stretching to meet it. I wasn't going to feel behind when I logged into the app. Um, It was just a really, really manageable goal for me. And I knew this year that we were going to try to add to our family. So I wasn't sure how, how quickly we would get pregnant and how getting pregnant and getting ready for maternity leave would affect my reading life. And I do think I read less overall than in a normal year, quote unquote. Um, But I really haven't had a normal year for several years now, Mm -hmm. now that kids are in my life. So who even knows what normal is at this point? I don't know. So for me, I did meet my goal this year, goal using the term very loosely, 
And at the time that we're recording this episode on Friday the 13th, uh, <laughs> that's, that's not ominous at all. I know. Um, I've read 66 books for the year, so uh, about 16 more than I had planned. Um, and I'll probably finish a couple more before the calendar turns to January as well. What about you? Well, kudos to you for 66 books for the year. You read a lot more than I do. I set my Goodreads goal. I feel the same about goals as you do. Like, I don't really want to set a goal, but mm-hmm. Goodreads really bugs you about it. I don't. And sometimes <laughs> I think it's motivating to finish books. So I don't know. I set a goal this year for 45 books. And last year I read 38 books, which I, I felt like I wanted to read more than that. So this was a goal to kind of motivate me to push myself to pick up my books instead of my phone when I have the opportunity Mm, to. mm -hmm. Um, And I did pretty well. So I've currently read 57 books out of 45, which was the goal. I will say that seven of those were did not finish finishes books books that I did not finish (laughs) um (laughs) so I really only read 50 and then I dove into and did not finish seven more but that's still a lot more than 38 so I am counting that as a win yeah and good for you for not finishing books that is I feel like something that I didn't used to do and probably within the last five years I've been willing to set aside a book if it's not grabbing me I used to finish everything and have just slowly realized that it's just such a waste to keep reading books that you're not interested in when there are so many other books out there waiting for you. Exactly. Yeah. That's something I've gotten a lot better at as I've gotten older too. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the podcast. So before we get into that, when do you do most of your reading? Because you do read a lot of books for somebody who has a job and is expecting a baby and has a toddler. Where do you fit it all in? Yeah. So last year when we recorded this episode and we talked about this question specifically, I had just started getting up 30 minutes or so ahead of Arthur to read in bed with a cup of coffee. And it was truly blissful, like to stay in your warm bed Scott would bring me a cup of coffee when he got up because he's always out of bed, always, usually out of bed earlier than I am. And then I would just sit and read for half an hour until I heard Arthur waking up. But then I got pregnant and stopped sleeping entirely. Thank you, pregnancy Mm -hmm. insomnia. And I didn't read much at all for a couple of months because every minute of the day was spent doing work or catching up or doing housework or all of those kinds of things when you're in that fog of early, early pregnancy. Uh, Since I've gotten over that first trimester and really gained some energy, I've actually switched over to pretty consistent novel writing in the mornings. So reading has kind of suffered at the hands of that project, uh, which is not a bad thing. But the way that I fit reading in this year, I had a couple of different things that I tried. Um, We gave up Netflix entirely in February of this year. We just canceled our account Um, partly with the goal of saving a little bit of money and also with the goal of reading more in the evenings together. Scott and I are both readers, which I think definitely helps with this. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say it worked largely because without reading in the evenings, I probably would have read half of what I got through this year. And for some reason, when we, we still have Amazon Prime, so we could still be watching things on Amazon Prime video, but when we gave up Netflix, like we almost just forgot we had access to other video services. <laughs> so we just really have not watched TV this year. And I can't say that I miss it much, which is good. Um, the one other thing that I've tried to do 
fairly consistently, but I would say it's really hit or miss, is sit down on the couch for a couple of times a week maybe with a book, even when Arthur is awake in the mornings when he's, you know, content to play. And I just tell him, like, I'm going to read for a few minutes and you can read with me, grab a book and sit next to me, or you can play. It works with varying degrees of success. Um, Sometimes I get a page in and sometimes it's a chapter. But I really realized this year that I want to start modeling reading more and more for him as he gets older. I mean, he sees me do housework and sometimes he sees me sit at my computer and do client work. But I don't really read in front of him, which is something that I definitely want him to see us doing. Uh, We read with him, like books at nap time and in the evenings and throughout the day. But he never really sees us reading our own books. So that was one other way I kind of fit a little bit more reading in. And then I always just take a book to any appointment that I get to go to by myself, whether that's a haircut or this year it's been a lot of OB appointments, which I usually am taking Arthur with me. Um, But on the rare chance that I get to go by myself, I can usually get a few pages in in the waiting room or waiting in the actual doctor's office. And that that adds up over time, I think. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I love what you said about wanting to model reading for him. Uh, That's something that I need to work on. And I think part of my problem is that with three kids, there's just very, very rarely that downtime where Mm -hmm. every single one of them is happy and content and does not need me for something. And and they're not fighting also over top of your book. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So I think that maybe I need to choose some more books in the new year that will allow me to dive in and out quickly and I won't get Mm. super annoyed if I get interrupted. That might be a strategy that helps me with that. Um, Another thing that I want to work on this year is having a designated reading time to look forward to every day. So last year I did a lot of reading at the gym. Uh, This year that didn't work out quite as well because dropping off a toddler at the gym daycare center is less easy than dropping off an infant who is just going to go in their little bouncy chair and sleep. Mm-hmm. So uh, the gym was hit or miss this year. And um, I have been a lot better at picking up a book instead of my phone. I think that's how I got those extra books read this year. But I really want a time to look forward to every single day where it's like, and now I sit down and read. And that's been hard to carve out because when I get a per minute. It either usually needs to be client work or this year I've been really focusing on novel writing, much like you have. And sitting down with a book kind of always seems to take a backseat. So what I would really like to do, maybe not right away, but at least at some point in 2020, maybe after I'm finished with the first draft of the novel, I would really like to say, okay, it's nap time. And the first thing I'm going to do is read for 20 minutes. And after that, if I want to keep reading, I will. If I want to do something else, I'll go do something else. Yeah, that sounds really rejuvenating and like something to look forward to every day instead of getting to the end of the day and being like, wow, I haven't read a book in three days, which sometimes happens. Yes. So do you think that will be easier with the the two your two older kids, your girls in school this year and just Conlet at home? Or does it not matter? <laughs> It almost doesn't matter. Okay. Like, it's definitely easier on the days that the girls are in school, but their school year is, like, their school is weird. I love their school, but it's weird. So the girls only go three days a week, and um, then they have very long breaks. 
So it's kind of an abbreviated school year. So Mm -hmm. like their Christmas break is like six or seven weeks long and their end of the school year is in mid-May, like it's a college almost. Um, A college schedule is actually pretty close to what this follows. They don't start in August, but they have the really long winter break and then they're done in May. So it's not enough school time for me to really rely on that. I Mm -hmm. think if I'm going to build this in, I need to be able to build it in on a day where all the kids are home. And then if two of them happen to not be home, it'll just be easier. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, But it's hard to build kind of a routine to your days or for your days when you have those, oh, three days a week, our days look like this. And then one day it looks like this. And the other day it looks like this. And then on the weekends, you know, Jacob is home. And yeah. Exactly. That elusive, elusive routine with small children. It is tricky. So do you have any reading goals for 2020, either numerical or otherwise, or do you just want to kind of go with the flow and see what happens? I said for 2019 that I wanted to read more and write about what I was reading. And I did read more. I did not really write about it. So I got better at taking notes while I read books and took photos of each book cover and even went and saved them in a folder on my desktop so that I could share about them. But I really haven't shared much about books online, maybe not this whole year. And I think that's part of, I've been pretty much pregnant the whole year since April and have been as a freelancer trying to work really, really far ahead on all of my work projects so that I could take a real maternity leave. And that between being sick while pregnant and then also trying to get an extra work, it's really eaten up kind of any extra writing time that I was optimistically looking forward to. For 2020, my only real goal is to kind of keep reading a part of my life as we welcome a new baby here in January. So as I go from you know parenting just one kiddo who sleeps through the night and still takes a nap every day to parenting two kiddos, one of whom will not do either of those for a very long time. (laughs) Yes. Uh, My whole goal, I think, is to just keep reading. I know when Arthur was a baby, I read a fair amount that year while I was holding him and nursing him and all of those things. And I know that's not going to be as easy of a default setting this time around because I will still have a toddler to parent while also holding and nursing that baby. So um, my goal is just to keep reading, I guess. You know, that's a good goal. (laughs) You know, you'll kind of keep your foot in the door of Mm -hmm. reading, I guess. You'll keep the doorway to reading open so you don't fall totally out of the habit. But then also when you have a new baby, reading is one of those things that's simple and easy self-care that can help you still feel like a person. So it really is. I think that sounds like a great plan. Yeah. And I've been saving, you know, saving, hoarding might be the better word, uh, Kindle books on my iPad for those newborn days when it's. I mean, it's just so much easier to swipe a page on a screen, like a metaphorical page, than to actually hold a book and turn the page while also holding a baby and not dropping the book on the baby. Um, So I've kind of been, (laughs) as I've, you know, scored Kindle deals or put books on hold at the library for the ebook form, um, I've kind of been keeping in mind to read physical books this year so that I have more electronic books to read next year. That is a very very smart idea. Yeah. I'm just such a nerd. So (laughs) what about you? Do you have 2020 goals for your reading? Uh, not really. I think my only goal aside from 
having that designated reading time is to give a little bit more attention to the books I already own that I have not read yet. Mm. So good, good strategy. (laughs) I never used to have a problem with this because I use the library a lot. So if I bought a book, it usually meant that I was excited about it and I was reading it right away. And since having kids, the pile of books that I own and have not read has like very slowly been creeping up on me. And I'm at like 25 or 30 books I own that I haven't read right now, which I know is not a lot for some people. But for me, when I'm only reading like 50 books a year, that is a lot. That'll take me almost a year to read all those books. So, and you know, in the meantime, you're not going to not get more books. (laughs) Exactly. Like there's always going to be more. The pile's going to keep growing. So I just reached the point where I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. And that's probably going to mean like limiting my library usage, which feels like a weird goal, but I think that's what needs to happen for now. And I'm also toying with the idea of assigning myself homework, which is strategically chosen books that will help me improve my own writing as I work on my novel. So like books in a similar genre that have really great characters. And I want to look closer at that and say, how did they do this? Or Mm. books that have really great pacing. And I want to sort of, most of them are going to be things I've read before that I want to go back and dissect and say, okay, how did this author do that so seamlessly? So I think I'm also going to be working on some of that. That is so smart. I really, really love that idea, especially, you know, the five in me just adores homework. So Mm -hmm. I'll be a little jealous if you get to do that this year. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's going to require a different type of reading brain, if -hmm. that makes sense. Like it's going to be like reading back in college rather than like reading right now where you're just reading for fun. So I think it'll be a, a good project. It'll be fun. That will be. So Will you, do you think you will go through the shelf of books that you have to read and even maybe get rid of some that you're not excited about anymore or that you don't think are a fit? Or are they all books that you know you want to read you just haven't gotten to yet? They're all books I know I want to read. <laughs> so, it's so yeah, hard. if there's, yeah, I'm pretty, because I use the library so much, I am pretty cautious about letting books into my house that I'm not excited about. So that has not really been an issue, which is good. It means I have 30 books that I really want to read and I already own. It's just, you know, it's just a matter of making time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, ignoring the library and its pushy hold system that says your book is in, you must read it this month. This is the next one you have to read. Right. Just going to say, I think that's part of my problem that I put too many books on hold because it's just so easy to, and I'm Mm -hmm. not you know, it's, I'm like, well, it's free and it's easy. And if you're going to buy a book, you stop and think about like, do I really want to spend the money on this? And, um, I think that that's maybe led to a little bit of dissatisfaction in my reading life, because if it's a book I put on hold, I'm actually probably less excited about it than a book that I purchased. Oh, true. That's a good distinction. So how did your book genre break down in 2019, like fiction versus nonfiction, eBooks versus paper? Is this, was this a typical year for you as far as the breakdown went? So I feel like my year was really unbalanced. I read 29 fiction books, nine creative nonfiction and 18 just plain nonfiction, like informational nonfiction, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and that feels like not enough memoir for me. I really like memoirs and, um, 
I just feel like I need more of that creative nonfiction. I also feel kind of dissatisfied with a lot of the fiction that I read. Like a lot of those were the books that I abandoned. And I just think that I could have done better. As far as the ebook, audiobook, physical book, I'm always more of a physical book person. I did read five ebooks and three audiobooks, which audiobooks are usually pretty hit or miss for me, but mm-hmm. I really enjoyed some of them this year. They're very narrator dependent is what I've come to realize. The narrator make or break, narrators make or break the audiobooks for me. Okay. That's interesting because audiobooks is the thing that I reach for the least often. Um, Scott and I will sometimes listen to one on vacation, like not this last year, but the year before was the last audiobook I actually listened to, I think, um, was when we road trip to Colorado and picked a book to listen to in the car together that both of us wanted to listen to. Um, and actually, that is untrue. On the way to our creative retreat back in June, I did listen to an audiobook and back again. Um, but I find it's really hard to listen to an audiobook with a kid around because they just talk over the book. So is that something you exactly. experience? Yes, totally. So it's usually a car thing for me. Um, like when we, like you said, when we went to our creative retreat or when we went and we had just like a day where we met up and hung out a couple months ago, mm-hmm. um, that those were two times that I was listening to audiobooks in the car because there was nobody with me, which very rarely <laughs> happens. It's such, such a treat to drive silently yes. in your own vehicle. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So for me this year, I feel like I feel like this was pretty normal. I read 32 fiction books, 25 nonfiction books, which actually maybe was on a little a little on the heavy side for me, and eight memoirs, and actually one poetry book as well. Um, I feel like that's pretty typical. I don't think I definitely think I read more nonfiction now that I am a parent. Um, which it feels so cliche. Um, yeah. At, at least one of those nonfiction books was a potty training book. So I, that would never <laughs> have happened three years ago. Yeah, um, but it's a necessary evil. It is. It is. Um, and I counted cookbooks this year too. I've been picking up more and more cookbooks um, now that I'm, you know, cooking for a family many days a week and it gets really boring sometimes. Sometimes I think reading a good cookbook and getting to try some new recipes is just what. I need to kick me out of like a dinner rut. Um, so I feel like I maybe didn't read as much fiction this year as in previous years, but I don't think that's true. So like you, maybe the fiction that I read just wasn't as good as I wish it had been or fiction takes less time to read. And so it feels like I read less fiction than I did. And the nonfiction books kind of overshadow it. I have had that thought before too, but I also just don't feel like the fiction books that I read recently have really had that staying power. Like Mm. none of them have really felt like, Oh yeah, I'm totally going to reread that. Or like, Oh yeah, I really need to buy that book. So I think it's maybe a little bit of both for me. Yeah. That is a a really good point. So what is the best fiction that you read in 2019? All right. So this is one that I am still reading. I'm still in the middle of it. And it is so good that I already feel confident calling it my best fiction for 2019. So it's called A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley. And it is a backlist title. It's, I think it was published in 1991 or 92. So the good news about that is that if you want to grab it from your library, it's yours for the taking. And 
I have never heard of this book. I can't remember where I heard about it. I want to say it was Instagram somewhere. So if you are the person who shared (laughs) about this book on Instagram and I saw it, thank you. It is this incredibly well-written book about um, an Iowa farmer with three daughters who is getting older. Some might say he's going a little bit crazy and he decides to divide his farm up among his daughters and the youngest isn't super interested in it and he ends up cutting her out of his will. And that's the setup and it is actually a retelling of King Lear. And I would not have made that connection unless I saw it it in a review or on the back cover somewhere. I think somewhere on the back it says that it's a King Lear retelling, but it is so well done. These characters are fascinating. The writing is incredible and it tells a lot about small town farming communities that rings very, very true to me. So if anybody listening has any sort of connection with farming, this is a fascinating book. Highly recommend. I'm definitely going to buy it and I can't wait to finish it. That sounds amazing and like something I would truly, truly enjoy. So thank you for that. I'm adding that to my list for maternity leave. You are welcome. What was your best fiction of 2019? Yeah, so I read a book that was also slightly backlist. It's probably a few years old. I'm not sure the exact age, Um, but it's called The Whole Thing Together by Anne Brashares, who is the author of The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants books. Mm-hmm. I have fallen in love in, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago with her first novel for adults, I would say, called The Last Summer of You and Me. And I read read that book pretty close to every year. And this year I have found two copies in used bookstores and sent them to friends, one of them being you. Yes, you gave me that this year. I remember that. (laughs) I love that book so much. And I feel like no one has ever talked about it. Um, so that is one that it, that's one of those books I will always buy when I see a copy of it and always give it to someone else who I think needs it. And I feel the same way about this, the second novel that I read by Anne Brashares, the whole thing together. It was about this really complicated family that the parents had divorced, but they each have a share in this lake house, kind of like on a Martha's Vineyard Island kind of thing. And the family, the sides of the family swap every other week all summer long, getting to stay at this lake house. But the it's, you know, owned by the parents who are divorced and hate each other's guts. And so there's so many family dynamics and like each side of the family has, they had kids together and then now they have other kids with their new spouses. And so there's a lot of layers and a lot of really interesting just relationships going on. And I found it was really good. I think it's on par with the last summer of you and me. Her writing is just really stellar. And I can't believe that no one, I've never heard of this book before I did a Google search just to see what else she had that maybe I hadn't read yet. And I was like, oh, this one, I'm going to read this one next. That sounds fascinating. Like those relationship dynamics have got to be just incredible to read about. Yeah. Lots of layers. So I highly recommend that one. Um, both the whole thing together and then also the last summer of you and me just because, and then I'm going to mention one as honorable mention, just because I enjoyed it so much. And Scott also enjoyed it a lot. And that was the logger queen of Minnesota by J Ryan Stradle, 
which hilariously you at one point voxed me and were like, Hey, I'm reading this book and I'm going to abandon it. It's not really my thing. And then you're like, it's the logger queen of Minnesota. And I was like, I just checked that out of the library and I'm in love with it. <laughs> so That is so funny. I'm also going to mention that in that box, I had to ask you how to pronounce lager because I don't drink <laughs> beer and I had like no idea. I'm like, I think I'm saying this right. Yeah, I don't totally. know. But yeah, I-, I will say that that book had I could tell that it was well-written. It mm-hmm. just was not the right timing for me. So don't let my opinion dissuade anyone from reading it. No, I really, really like um, Stradle's writing. I think he writes women fabulously well. Um, and the two novels he has out, The Logger Queen that I mentioned, and then also Kitchens of the Great Midwest, they're both set in the Midwest. So obviously the one, The Logger Queen is in Minnesota, And then the um, Kitchens of the Great Midwest is kind of the entire Great Lakes region. But it just, he writes about food and taste and kind of the the culture that surrounds Midwestern food so well and so generously and with such a great heart, I think. So I think anyone would be happy to pick up either of those if that is in their genre wheelhouse at all. Well, excellent. And those are two books that are on my unread shelf that I'm excited (laughs) about. The um, uh, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, or Great Kitchens of the Midwest, and um, The Last Summer of You and Me, both books that you gave me. So those are on my list. Enjoy. So let's get into nonfiction. What were your favorite nonfiction books this year? That one is so hard to pick one book. So I think we both picked I agree. a few. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a really good year for me for nonfiction reading. And I feel like I said the same last year. So I don't know if nonfiction writers are just hitting it out of the park right now, or I am really, truly finding what works for me, which maybe I haven't done in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, but right at the beginning of the year, I read, I got this book for Christmas and read it. And it's called The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. And he is, if I remember correctly, like the managing editor, the you know head honcho, whatever, of Christianity Today, the online website slash magazine. Um, so I was a little hesitant to dive in because that website gets a bad rap from different corners of the internet, depending on who you talk to. Um, but his book, the premise of it was really fascinating to me as we are raising kids who are going to be more and more interested in screen time as they grow older. Um, Arthur was just one and a half when I started reading this book and now he's two and a half. Um, But the whole premise of his book is putting technology in its proper place and kind of making sure that it is serving us as opposed to the other way around. And so it was a really short, really easy to read book. And it talked about, um, his theological basis for this entire theory, but also some practical tips and ways in which they have deprioritized tech or at least moved it to the periphery of their lives. And it even has a forward from his daughter who is in her late teens, early twenties and who has, you know, grown up in this household and basically said like, I'm so grateful that my parents did this. And I think it means you should probably do it with your kids too. Um, so that was a really, really good read. Yeah, I read that one in 2018 and I really enjoyed it. And I remember taking notes about it that I should dig up somewhere and <laughs> revisit. That's almost one that would be worth buying just so that you could like have notes in the margins and flip back through because sometimes 
you know, books like that, you think like, oh yeah, these are such great ideas. But when our kids are so little, Mm -hmm. you, by the time they get to the age where you'd actually be implementing a lot of that stuff, you might need a refresher. But yes, I agree. That was a really great book. Yeah. And it's a few years old at this point. So you should be able to pick up a copy used or online for pretty cheap, I would think. Um, Yeah. Another book that you gave me at our little retreat in June that I really, truly enjoyed was called Like a Mother, and it's a feminist journey through the science and culture of pregnancy. And it's by Angela Garbus, is my, I'm guessing how you pronounce her last name. Um, but she is a journalist, and you gave me this book and said, you know, you're pregnant. You should totally read this. And you were right. Um, it was a well-researched but really, really readable book about the ways in which our culture approaches pregnancy and maybe some of the ways in which it gets it wrong, um, either a little wrong or very, very wrong. And I just found it really fascinating and it kind of jump started me on a trend of reading other books in kind of the same vein. So thank you for giving me that one. You are welcome. I agree that that one is, it walks that very fine line between well-researched and good information and really, really readable and Mm well-written. I so appreciate when an author can do that because I know how hard it is. And uh, this one did a really great job. And I know it says feminist in the subtitle, which I think it (laughs) is a feminist book, but um, even if you don't consider yourself feminist or if you don't resonate with that particular label, I think that this is worth reading for anybody who for sure, if you are pregnant or if you're planning on becoming pregnant, even if you've had kids and aren't thinking you're going to have any more, I think it's just a really great look at um, health and pregnancy and women. Yeah, which kind of ties into one of your nonfiction books that you wanted to share. It does. So I have a couple that I really enjoyed, but the one that I'm going to talk about most is called Doing Harm by Maya Dusenberry. And This book is actually kind of unique because it's also a book that I did not finish. So it's my favorite nonfiction and I didn't (laughs) read all of it. Um, And that was because it was contributing to anxiety for me, which is my own personal mental health issue. And I know that I need to go back and finish it eventually because it was really good. The reason that it was contributing to my anxiety is because it's all about the gap in healthcare, the gender gap. Um, So not just how few women are doctors compared to men, because that's actually something that's getting better. But it's focused on how little is known about the female body compared to men's health and how little is researched about women's health. And it goes into everything from diet recommendations, weight recommendations to uh, cancer, types of cancer, how cancer develops, um, different types of Uh, chronic illnesses where not much is known about them or autoimmune diseases, which are largely suffered by women. Um, and they just aren't that well researched and aren't that well known. Um, it talks about the ways that women are treated when they walk into an emergency room and say that they're having chest pain. Um, and how a lot of the time a doctor will look at them and say, that's anxiety. Or if you have a history of anxiety, like I do, they will not, look further into your chest pain and figure out if you're having a heart attack or some other issue. Um, Women are oftentimes very written off in the medical community and they have to seek a lot of different opinions before they'll be believed. And Maya Dusenberry did a fantastic job of researching this book and bringing all this information to light. And um, 
I fully intend on finishing it someday. It was really, really, really well written um, and very well researched. So I wanted to put a plug out there for that one. Yeah. And does it at all dive into like the ways in which women are not believed in the medical community, but then also like women of color are just like another level oh, yes. of unbelief. So it does dive into that yes. a little bit. She does talk about the race issue a little bit as well. Although Dusenberry, I believe is white. Okay. Um, I don't know like her exact heritage, um, but I, she does talk about race in there a little bit as well. Yeah. And I feel like um, the book, Like a Mother, that I had mentioned as well, talks about it just very, very slightly. But I know I've read several articles since having my first baby about even the maternal mortality rate in the United States on the rise for all women, but specifically for women of color. And I'm I'm going to misquote this because I don't have the statistics standing in front of me right now, but I feel like the it's triple the amount of black women are dying in childbirth or immediately following childbirth because doctors aren't giving them the care they need or listening to them when they say, I think there's an issue here. Yeah. Um, It's truly insane. It really is. I've seen statistics about that as well and it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not scientists. We can't say a whole lot more than that, but, um, just something to, to be aware of, I guess, as we're, we're reading books about sciencey things um, to take into consideration if the author doesn't that gap in healthcare, not only between men and women, but between women and women of color as well. Yes, Um, exactly. One final book that I wanted to just briefly mention was Big Dreams, Daily Joys by Elise Kripe. And we had her on the podcast back in October, right around the time her book launched. And we talk about the book a lot in that episode. So you guys can go and listen to that for sure. But I read this and I really, really loved it. I thought it was easy to read and well-written and all of her tips were very actionable. Um, I mean, it's Elise. So if you follow her on Instagram, you know that she is all about getting things done. So if you are looking for a goal-setting book as you walk into the new year, you want to make some progress on some of your creative dreams, I would highly recommend Big Dreams, Daily Joys. It was a great read. Yes. And I will throw in two other books that I'm not going to talk about because I'm sure everyone's heard about them now, (laughs) but Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport and Atomic Habits by James Clear were also really, really wonderful nonfiction books that I read this year. I just wanted to give a little bit more airtime to Doing Harm by Maya Dusenberry because I think that not as many people have heard about it. Yeah. And I read Digital Minimalism, and I will echo that recommendation, and Atomic Habits is on my list. But Ashley also sent me a podcast in which Cal Newport and James Clear, the authors of these two books, are talking together, and we will share a link to that in the show notes because it was an excellent hour-long listen. Yeah, that is a really, really good introduction to both of their topics. If you haven't read the book or aren't sure if you want to commit to reading those books, the podcast gives you a ton of good information to chew on. It really does. You said that you did not read as much creative nonfiction in 2019 as you usually do, but what did you read that you loved? I loved I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpott, which is a collection of creative nonfiction essays, and they were just so, so beautifully written. They were funny and 
poignant at the same time, which I think is really difficult to do. And she did it very well. She had a lot of thoughts on um, parenting and motherhood, but also just being a woman and having a career and um, some of the different ways that your emotions pull you back and forth when you are talking about your kids like that. She talks about that. um, I don't know if she mentions this specifically, but it's sort of that tension where you're like all day long, you just want some time to yourself. And then as soon as they're sleeping, you're like, Oh, but they're so cute when they sleep. She touches on those kinds of tensions, but (laughs) it's not, it's not just a book about motherhood. It's just a bunch of really well-written, funny, creative essays. I like that. You've mentioned that a couple of times to me, and I definitely have it on my hold list at the library for when I'm on maternity leave. So it's a good one for that. I'm really excited. Um, I'm also going to share a like collection of essays this time around. Um, I finally got around to reading some Nora Ephron, which is crazy considering how much I love some of her films. But I finally read I Feel Bad About My Neck and Other Thoughts on Being a Woman by Ephron. And I thought it was just laugh out loud funny at some points. And I highly recommend it to anyone. She talks about um, aging and divorce and the crazy New York City apartment buying world, which is so very, very, very far out of my realm. Um, But she just makes everything so relatable and so funny. And I was incredibly pleased when I finished that book. Yeah, I bought that one because you recommended it so highly. And it was really, really, really good. I enjoyed reading all those essays and the New York apartment one was actually one of my favorites. So (laughs) (laughs) I, I really liked it. So what is a book that you have been meaning to read forever and that you maybe finally got around to? Yeah. So for me, this one has been a long time coming. I have a receipt in the book, a room with a view by EM Forster that says that I purchased it in 2009 And this is actually one that I talked about last year as the book that I was going to ring in the new year with. And I did. I finally read this book last January and it was so sweet and so good to dive back into a classic because sometimes classics kind of just don't make it onto our radar anymore Mm -hmm. with all the new books coming out and they're flashy and you want to get your hands on what everyone else is reading. And it was just a really nice classic to come back to. I really loved it. It was a sweet story. It was an easy read. Highly recommend. Yeah, I really like that book too. I remember reading it in high school and really enjoying it. So I'm glad you got to experience it this year. Yeah. What have you been meaning to read forever that you finally read this year? Yeah. I mean, the book that I read is from like 1980. I think I looked it up. <laughs> so same it's with the uh, EM Forster. It's been around a long time. Um, but I finally read Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art by Madeline Lingell, who... I adored her fiction as a kid, as like a junior high, high school student. And I probably still would if I went back and read it now. Um, But this book was just beautiful, as you expected to be from Lingell. Um, It's a book all about art and the ways in which we interact with it, both from a faith perspective and then also just as artists and how we are able to push past fear and continue making things even when it's really hard. And I thought it was a great book for anyone who wants to do any kind of creative projects. I love that book. We read it uh, for one of my college classes and I reread it every couple of years. And I have 
it's so interesting to see the notes that I took oh, 10 yeah. years ago when I was in college and then to see what stands out to me now as I get older and older. I mean, I think eventually every line in the book is going to be <laughs> underlined. Um, but I always have to, when I pick it up, I'm like, okay, last time I used a pencil, this time I'm like, I have to find a blue pen now. I always try to use a different color pen so that I can see um, which notes in that book are new and what thoughts were older. And it's just, it's a, it's like a timeless classic for creatives, I think. Oh, I love that. That's a great idea. Use the different colored pens. Um, so what was the book that was most unput downable for you? Like what grabbed your attention and would not let you go for a while? Yeah. So I don't typically read books that are considered unput downable. Like that fast paced, thrilling plot is not usually books I gravitate towards. But this year I read Never Have I Ever, which is the new release by Jocelyn Jackson. And Jackson is one of my favorite authors. She writes uh, like a Southern Gothic literary fiction, which is a really unique style that I enjoy a lot. This book is pretty different from anything else she's ever written. So if you've never read her books, this might not be the one that I would start with. But Never Have I Ever is sort of a domestic thriller, not my usual genre. Uh, But I picked it up because I love this author. And it was really, really attention grabbing. Like you did not want to put it down even for a second. So there's this, um, community of suburban moms who have a book club. And one night a new person walks into their book club, a new woman who is renting a house down the street and she completely upends all of their lives in this neighborhood. And it's one of those books where you can't say too much about it Mm -hmm. or you'll give it away. Um, there is a small trigger warning for it, uh, which completely spoils like most of the book. So I don't want to say what it is. If you are concerned about trigger warnings, you might want to look that up. Um, I will say that I'm a highly sensitive reader and it was not something that was a problem for me. It's not along the lines of violence or anything like that. But, um, if you are very, very sensitive and want to be aware of that, you might want to look that up, but Otherwise, really, really, really grabbing good book. Awesome. And I suppose they could probably like message you on Instagram or something too if they need more info. They could, yes. If you want to know what it is and you don't mind being spoiled, um, (laughs) then you can ask me and I will let you know. Excellent. Um, So you mentioning that book makes me think that or remember that I finally read Blake Crouch's Dark Matter, um, which is in that thriller genre that everyone raved around a couple of years ago and everyone mm-hmm. this year is raving about his new release, Recursion. And it was really good. It was definitely unput downable. But thriller is not the genre that I had to. And I think the same is true for you. Yeah. Um, so for my unput downable book this year, I read, I finally got around to reading Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. And again, it's not a thriller. It's, you know, a YA story, I guess. Um, but he just writes in such a compelling way. And there's a little bit of a mystery to this book um, that I I think it took me maybe three days to read it, which these days as a parent is just kind of unheard of to read a book in three days. So yeah. I highly recommend that one. That is a glowing recommendation to say that with a toddler, you read that book in three <laughs> yes. days. That's a that's high praise. Yeah, I think I read it Thanksgiving weekend in the car on the way driving to Illinois and I was like I looked at Scott I was like do you care if I read and he goes no and so I just ignored our toddler in the background and read a book (laughs) instead (laughs) I also highly recommend that for your holiday travel excellent strategy 
Uh, so this is kind of a fun category. A book that made us laugh out loud or a book that made us cry. What is your choice for this? The choice for this is the same book, actually. Um, it both made me laugh out loud and made me cry. Uh, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. Um, and this one made the internet round, so you guys are probably familiar with it. But it's a memoir by Kate Bowler, who is a professor at Duke Divinity School. And she and her husband struggled to have a baby, finally had a baby, and then she immediately found out she had a somewhat rare and aggressive colon cancer. And so it's essentially her memoir of those years where they were going through infertility and then cancer treatment and all of that, which sounds so ridiculously depressing, but it is not. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, I mean, again, it's kind of like balancing a fine line between being poignant, like you'd mentioned earlier, and then also really laugh out loud funny. So I recommend that one. I thought she asked so many good questions. And I mean, it's a cancer memoir. So she's asking tough questions about the end of our life and how we want to spend it and all of that. And there were definitely moments where I just sat down and sobbed. And there were definitely moments where I was laughing and feeling very inappropriate considering the subject matter. So I recommend that one. That sounds so good. That is, there's so many talented authors out there that we've talked about who can walk that line. Mm -hmm. That is so, so incredible. Yeah. Um, So for me, I have two different books for this one. I laughed all the way through The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren, which is not my usual genre. Again, it's a lighthearted romance book. It's not like a steamy romance book, although I will say that it was raunchier than I expected it to be. So just be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Some of the humor is like, I don't know, like middle school boy humor. And then there are a couple scenes that are, you know, a little more adult in nature, just so you're (laughs) aware. Um, But it was so funny. Like there were scenes where I was literally like Jacob was in the same room with me and he was like, what are you doing? Because I had to set the book down. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) So that was, it was just like a fun, lighthearted, I mean, this is not a literary book, but it was fun and funny. And if you need like a pick me up or something to just read on the beach, if you're going on vacation this winter, that's a good pick. Um, And then the audiobook of Little Women made me cry uh, at the end with Joe and Lori. Uh, that always kind of gets to me. So <laughs> I was like, standing... in case no one's read Little Women, but <laughs> I know, right? Like the the character that dies, uh, never like I'm never sad about that. I'm oh, like, oh, finally, <laughs> that character. <laughs> finally. That character annoys me. I think she's so boring. But um, the the stuff with Joe and Laurie, I was like standing in my kitchen washing dishes, like crying as the British narrator was like reading this story to me. So yeah. Aww. That sounds so sweet. And I think it's such a great idea to listen. You said this was a re, essentially a reread for you, but you listened to it instead of reading it. And yes. I think that's so smart to listen to a book that you've already read because then you get to reread it and you don't have to pay maybe quite as close of attention because you know all the characters' names and what's actually going to happen. You're just really more in it for the experience. Yeah. And that's exactly how it worked out. It was 
a really, really good choice. That's the audiobook that I liked the best out of the three that I listened to this year. Oh, awesome. So what didn't you finish this year? Um, a lot of books. I'm only going to talk about one of them. Uh, there were lots of different reasons that I didn't finish books. Sometimes it was just not the right timing, not the right interest level. Sometimes I had too many books on my shelf from library holds and the one that I wasn't interested in just had to go. But the one I'm going to talk about is Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. And it is killing me inside a little bit that I did not finish this book. So Lee Bardugo has typically been a young adult author. She wrote the Grisha trilogy and she wrote um, a duology, Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. And I love her young adult books. They are so good. And Ninth House was her first adult book. And it's technically classed as urban fantasy, I believe. So the setup is that they're at Yale and there are secret societies and something mysterious happening. And that's pretty much all I knew about it. And I was like, that sounds incredible. Mm -hmm. Get me on that hold list. I'm glad I put it on hold to the library instead of buying it. So I got it. I was one of the first people to get it after it came out. I remember that. Surprisingly enough. Yeah. I felt very lucky and I could not get past the first chapter. I'm not even kidding. There was so much violence and so much gore that I had to keep stopping and putting it down. And after doing that for like the fourth time, I was like, okay, it's been a week and I'm not past the first chapter. I need to look up some reviews of this book. So I did that. And the trigger warnings for this book, you guys, are insane. There's gore, there's violence, there's torture, there's sexual assault, there's all sorts of stuff. And then what really put me over the edge was that it does get into actual occult magic, which I'm okay with like fantasy, Harry Potter type of magic. But when it gets into like heavier magic, I personally don't read that type of stuff. And I'm a highly sensitive person, so I have, you know, I usually do okay with violence and gore in books because I'm in control of my imagination and I can kind of just skim over stuff. But this book was on another level and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And I was so glad you told me about this book a few weeks ago because I was about to buy it for Scott for Christmas because we, we adore Lee Bardugo's young adult stuff, just like you. Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom is maybe one of our favorite sets of books that we've read in the last decade, which is high praise. And so I had it on my list to buy for Scott for Christmas. And then you boxed me about this right before I bought it. And I was like, oh, I think maybe I'll check that out at the library for him. He is not a sensitive reader and have him preview it for me. And then I can decide if I want to read it too. And then maybe tell you if it's worth it or not. And that's a good idea. And if you, if either of you end up reading it, I would love to hear what happens in this mm -hmm. book. Like I would love like a summary, but I just, I couldn't do it for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that I'm glad you put that one down and didn't continue pushing forward. Yeah. So what book did you not finish this year? I will share two books that I did not finish. The only book that I picked up, like a, a novel or a book like to just sit and read, read, um, was a book club pick from someone else in my book club. And they recommended The People's Republic of Everything by Nick Mamatas, Mamatas. I'm not really sure how to pronounce his last name. Um, but she had just heard about it on the radio and I was like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds interesting. Something different than we normally read. And it was very different than what we normally read. And I don't think the majority of my book club finished it. So I'm sure it's very good. It's a short story collection by this author, but it is 
I would say science fiction or speculative fiction, and it's really out there. So if sci-fi is your thing, definitely pick this one up. It's right in your wheelhouse. If sci-fi is not, pass it on by. I'm sure it's great. It was just not for any of us in book club. Gotcha. And I will preface this too with, I am the youngest member in my book club by at least 25 years. So it was me and all of these, you know, 50 something year old ladies who had probably never read science fiction in their life going, yeah, I don't know what to think about this. (laughs) Yeah. So it was entertaining. Um, And then the other book that I did not finish, and you can say the same on this one, is partway through the year, you and I kind of started to buddy read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I've heard such good things about this book for so many years. And I guess I didn't realize it was so intense. I thought it was just a book about creativity like any other one. But there are exercises and activities and all sorts of things you're supposed to do. And so we had started doing it and we maybe both got a chapter in and we're like, yeah, this is not the time in our life for this right now. (laughs) But I do think some good came of that because what happened was we were like, well, we have to set aside all this time to do these exercises. Mm -hmm. And this feels homeworky in a bad way, like a busy work kind of homework way. And we were like, well, we just don't have the time for this. Like, if we're going to make the time to do this, we may as well just be writing our novels. And then we were like, well, hey, wait a minute. Let's just, <laughs> Let's just write, write our, our novels. novels. <laughs> so it, we set down the artist's way and then we started uh, working together account- on an accountability plan to work on our novels. And so it, some good did come out of it, I guess. Yeah, most <laughs> definitely. I've been very happy with the way that it progressed. Um, so I think someday I will get back to that book. I do think reading the first couple chapters made me realize that I might need to do some therapy alongside this book. She really dives into a lot of the ways in which your creativity, I guess, is shaped by your upbringing and things like that. And I really kind of feel like this might need to be a book that I work through with someone like you, like as a buddy read, and then also maybe go talk to a therapist about. So someday, today is not that day. (laughs) That seems like a very smart idea. Yeah. So, yeah. So we kind of have a little bit of an unpopular opinion about The Artist's Way in that neither of us fell in love with it like we expected to. But what other book did you read that you maybe feel a little differently than the rest of the world about and you're a little hesitant to say? I feel like the poster child for unpopular (laughs) opinions about books. So nobody hate me for what I'm about to say, but I did not love Eleanor and Park by Rainbow, is it Rowell? Rowell, yeah. Rainbow Rowell? Okay. Um, Which in our outline, I have written gasp. Yes. I've been hearing great things about this book for years, like ever since it came out. And I read um, Landline first a couple of years ago and everybody was like, oh, you didn't like that one? Well, that's because that's not very good. You needed to read Eleanor and Park. I conveniently think that Landline just doesn't exist. Like I just forget that it's part of her canon. (laughs) Yeah. it's And Landline was not a great book. No. And... It left enough of a bad taste in my mouth that I went for several years without picking Mm -hmm. up Eleanor and Park. And then I saw it on sale at a used bookstore in my neighborhood. It was less than $5. I was like, all right, you know, I'm sure that this is going to be one that I want to buy and keep on my shelf because everyone says such great things about it. And I just didn't love it. I'm not sure if my expectations were too high because I've heard so many great things about it. Um, 
I definitely think that part of the reason so many people love it is the 80s nostalgia, and I am a little too young for that. (laughs) I was born in 1990, so I was going through high school in the early 2000s, and if they had been talking about, like, instead of swapping cassette tapes on the bus, if they'd been talking about, like, burning CDs and like talking to each other late at night on AOL instant messenger, maybe I would have been like a little bit more on board with it Mm -hmm. because that was my high school experience. But the eighties nostalgia was like, I appreciated it, but it did not grab me or resonate with me because I'm not old enough for it. And the characters were not what I expected. Like it was a little bit of a deeper, darker book than I expected. Mm -hmm. And darker is probably not the right phrase for this, but Eleanor comes from a tough background and I was not expecting that. So I think maybe the book was just not like, I just think that I wasn't in the right mindset for that book. Like I was expecting it to be light and happy and oh, they're in love and oh, it's the eighties. And it's really not light or happy in a lot of ways. No, it's not. And I found myself just being kind of disappointed, I think, for that reason. Mm-hmm. Not because the book is not good, but because I thought it was something else and I was looking for something else when I picked it up. Yeah, I feel like Eleanor in Park is one that you should read when you want like a good heartbreak. Like you want your heart ripped out of your chest. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Like, And I love endings that are hard Mm -hmm. and difficult and even in some ways unsatisfying, but I did not love the ending of this book. Me neither. I, I, I love the book. I've read it multiple times, but I agree that the ending leaves a little bit to be desired and everyone in the world keeps waiting for her to write a sequel. And I don't think she's going to, which is really sad. No, I don't think she's going to either. Um, I will say for anyone who, for you, especially because you have now read two, what you would consider dead books from rainbow Rowell, uh, my favorite of hers, it's it's probably a tie between the two you haven't read. Um, Attachments was her first novel, and it's for adults, and I really, really like that book. And I think anyone who does want to just read a sweet, heartwarming story that hits all the right notes, Attachments is the go-to. And then Good to know. what I would love to see you read from her um, is Fangirl, which is a riff on it's kind of a riff on Harry Potter in the fact that the main character writes fan fiction about this magical book set in a universe that is very much modeled after Harry Potter it's like Simon Snow and the white hair or something like that instead of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire Um, but the main character of the book writes fan fiction for this fictitious fantasy novel series and she goes away for her freshman year of college and is trying to figure out how to be an extremely introverted fan fiction writer in the real world and I think it's just a fabulous book so I would be interested to see you read that and then see if you come back with the same opinion that sounds like it is far more up my alley so I will take your advice on that <laughs> and put that one on my list. And if that one does not go well, then I might just be like, just okay, this author off. just isn't for me. Yeah. And now is there an author that you are thinking about swearing off? Um, maybe, maybe. So <laughs> I read Bel Canto by Anne Patchett and it is the second, only the second Anne Patchett novel that I've ever read. And I am not in love yet. Her writing is beautiful 
But I got to the end of this, and then the other book that I read by her was Commonwealth. I got to the end, and I was like, I could have not read that and been perfectly happy with my life. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, it was a good story. Like I said, the writing is beautiful. I just didn't connect. And so I don't know if there's just an Ann Patchett novel out there that I am missing, like you and Rainbow Rowell, but... If anyone has it, recommend it. I will, I will give her one more chance, but after that, I might just not be an Ann Patchett lover. So if you're on your last chance with <laughs> Ann Patchett, I would, I will say that her, her fiction is pretty hit or miss for me. I've read, um, have I read all of her fiction? I might have. The Dutch House just came out mm-hmm. and I, that's a fiction by Ann Patchett and I really enjoyed that one. I think that's my favorite of her fiction books so far. And I've heard that but from if several people, so... Yeah, like it was really, really well done and very different from both Commonwealth and Belcanto. Okay, good to know. Um, but if you're really on your last, last <laughs> chance for Ann Patchett, I would go for her creative nonfiction with her short story collection. Or it's not short story collection, it's an essay collection, I guess. Um, this is the story of a happy marriage. Okay. It's a collection of essays that she has written for various publications during her freelance career. And those are where I think she really shines. I wish she would write more nonfiction and less fiction personally. Oh, good to know. Good to know. I do hear that the Dutch house audiobook is narrated by Tom Hanks, which also sounds Ooh. delightful. So maybe I have two more Ann Patchett's in me and one will be the Dutch house and one will be, this is the story of a happy marriage. Yes, I think that's worth it. And I could totally see Tom Hanks narrating The Dutch House. Okay, good. Now that you say that, I'm like, oh, that's that's a good fit. Good, good. Um, so what book did you adore reading aloud with your kids this year? So this year I have been trying to get my kids into audiobooks because we can get them through the library and then I can put them on while they're eating lunch. Or if they've just been kind of fighting and bickering, I can be like, here, guys, we're going to listen to an audiobook." Um <laughs> Sometimes if they're asking for TV, I can redirect that and be like, hey, let's listen to a chapter of an audiobook instead. So they have really loved, fortunately, The Milk by Neil Gaiman. It's probably, a, like Hadley liked it on like the third or fourth time we listened to it. It's only an hour long. So what I find with little kids and audiobooks is that they sort of need a lot of repetition before they pick up the thread of the story and understand what's happening. So we listened to that one over and over and over for our three-week library time with it. And by the end of it, they were just like rolling in laughter because they were finally listening and catching on and thought it was so funny. Um, I, as a parent, thought it was funny because the whole premise of this book is that the mom goes out of town and leaves all these instructions for the dad. And the very first day, the dad uses up the last little bit of milk because on her way out the door, she's like, oh, and by the way, we're almost out of milk. He uses up the last little bit of milk on the very first day and then doesn't have any for his tea or for his kid's cereal the next morning. And he has to walk to the store to get milk and he's gone for a long time. And when he comes home, his kids are like, where were you? And he tells this ridiculous, funny story about how he was abducted by aliens. And then he found pirates and there was a time traveling dinosaur. And, uh, (laughs) that's what the story is. But I think the setup is really pretty accurate to life. (laughs) Cool. That sounds great. I'm excited to dive in. What age do you think is the audience for an audiobook like that? Like, is Arthur old enough at two and a half, almost three? He's probably not. Okay. I think Reagan is three, and I think she gets into it because Hadley does. Mm. 
And um, Hadley, it took a couple listens. She's five. I think that if your kids are like seven or eight, all the way up through like maybe 10 or 11 or 12, they would be perfect. Um, I think five is probably the youngest and it would take a little bit of like coaxing and maybe explaining and like, oh, hey, do you know what's going on here? But once they listened a bunch of times and figured it out, I don't even know if they were understanding the full plot or if they were just laughing about milk, but they found it funny. (laughs) And Neil Gaiman narrates it himself and he's a really fantastic narrator. He's got a great voice. Yeah. How about you? What did you enjoy reading to Arthur this year? One of them we really enjoyed reading to Arthur and I will say it's... um, a book called Maybe God is Like That Too by Jennifer Grant. And if anyone needs like a last minute Christmas gift uh, when this podcast comes out, I really recommend this book. I would guess for the, I don't know, like the three to seven, three to eight age range. Um, It's a little above Arthur right now, but it talks about um, the fact that we can't see God, but we can see the fruits of the spirit. And whenever we see kindness or joy or faithfulness, we are seeing God's spirit at work. And so I think it's going to be really good to keep reading with him as he starts getting some of those concepts because he's starting to ask, like, where is Jesus in church? Like when someone talks about Jesus, where did Jesus go? And it's just so awkward trying to explain that to such a little person who doesn't really need to hear about, you know, death and those kinds of things quite yet. Um, so I, I think that book is going to grow with us really, really well. And I've enjoyed it and I've enjoyed sharing it with other friends of small kids. The book that Arthur enjoyed the most this year is, and is not obnoxious. So I will say we don't not enjoy it as parents is called road builders by BG Hennessy. And my mother-in-law picked this up at a secondhand store. Um, she volunteers at that, like all the money goes to a good cause, but she often brings home like 20 books for a dollar kind of things, which you cannot beat that price. And so she brought us road builders, which is basically an entire book about building a road with all of the construction equipment that you need, you know, the excavators and the dump trucks and the asphalt pavers and all of that kind of thing. And Arthur is very much into construction vehicles. And so he basically has this book memorized. He knows what all the trucks are and can point them out to you without you telling them. And he wants to read it over and over and over again. And I have taped it back together several times. So <laughs> it's, yes, it's a win. when you have to repair a book, then you know it's a good one. Exactly. So if you have a little boy in your life or a girl who loves trucks, that's that's on our list. That sounds amazing. So we have talked about all these books that we love. How do you decide which books you're going to buy versus borrow from the library? This is such a good question and one that I honestly think about fairly often, probably more than I need to as a reader and purchaser. But we have really in the last couple of years started to intentionally buy books from authors that we love. Um, And I'm saying we as in Scott and I. So this year for both of us, that meant we wanted to pre-order Aaron Morgenstern's The Starless Sea because we loved The Night Circus so much. And I knew that I wanted to pre-order Austin Kleon's Keep Going, among a couple of others. And partly just trying to pre-order books for authors that we definitely want to keep writing books because I know that that helps them continue to get more book deals. I'm also just more apt to buy books that I know both Scott and I will read. Um, 
So we've been picking up the Louise Penny series book by book that we're both reading. And I tend to get them used either at used bookstores or on thrift books online. If you haven't used thrift books, I think I, I think I sent you a code at one point. I you will did. Yep. share a link in the show notes um, where I think you can get 15% off, but I shop secondhand a lot, both locally and then also at, um, you know, anytime I go anywhere to a used bookstore, but thriftbooks.com is really handy for shopping used books when you don't want to go anywhere, i.e. buckle your kids in a car and leave the house. So I use them a lot. And then we also use the library a good bit, both for eBooks and paper books. And this year we really started using it more for like kids DVDs and kid books for Arthur. He's finally at an age where I'm not worried about him destroying anything that I bring home from the library. So I've been more apt to check things out there, especially kids books that, you know, you want to read a few times and then you want to move on to something else. Um, and this gives us a little bit more variety in our reading life without, you know, just adding to the pile of money that we spend on books. Yes, exactly. That's, we use the library a lot for kids books too, with, especially with Hadley. Now she's getting into early reader books Mm. and, um, after a while she does memorize them and stops like trying to sound out the words. Ah. So it's nice to have those different, um, different options. And also like the variety just helps keep her interested in reading too. Like sometimes your kid doesn't want to keep practicing reading in the same book over and over. So the library has been very good for that too. Um, I sort of automatically go towards the library and I only buy books in a couple of circumstances. So one, like you said, is pre-ordering books with authors you want to support. I will especially do this if I know the author either in person or through online connections. Um, I'm always happy to uh, support authors that way by pre-ordering. Other reasons that I will purchase a book are, some of these are kind of ridiculous. Like if it's got a really pretty cover, I'm more likely to want to buy it, even if I'm not sure if I'm going to love the book or not. Um, it's like buying otherwise, art for your house. Exactly. Like if I'm like, oh, that's a really pretty book. Um, I'm just, it's just another factor in making me want to purchase it. I'm also more likely to buy a book if I'm pretty sure I'm going to reread it. So this comes up more often with nonfiction than with fiction, because I don't usually know that I'm going to reread a fiction book until I've read it the first time. Mm -hmm. So even if it's an author that I love, like Leigh Bardugo with her young adult books, I don't know that I'm ever going to reread the Grisha trilogy. I might want to reread Six of Crows someday. um, And at that point, I'll probably buy it. But... I don't know that I love a fiction book until after I've read it. So I'll usually get it from the library and then put it on my Christmas Mm -hmm. list or keep an eye out for it at used bookstores if I really, really loved it. Uh, Nonfiction, I am more likely to buy right off the bat because if... So a book like Atomic Habits, for example, I knew there were going to be lots of really good takeaways in that book and that I would probably want to revisit it over and over again. So I knew that I wanted to have it on hand so that I could write in the book itself and take those notes and be able to reference it later. So that's kind of how I choose what I'm going to buy and what I'm going to borrow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I do the same thing in if I check out a book from the library and I read it and I love it and know I'm going to want to read it again, I will add it to a list for Christmas presents or whatever it happens to be just so that I remember someday if I'm at a used bookstore oh yeah I wanted to buy a copy of that 
And I take this like to a next level and I keep a list of books that I've read that I want to own a copy of in Evernote. So even if I'm at a used bookstore, I can pull that up on my phone and be like, oh yeah, let's look for this book and let's look for this book and see if they have a copy on hand. So we've said that we both have a pretty big unread shelf in our lives. How do we work through those? Do we have any strategies or do we just work through it as we have the chance at random? That's a really good question. And I wish I had a really good answer to it. And I don't. <laughs> I, I really do have like quite a few books on a to be read shelf list, most of which I've like picked up secondhand or something or people have given to me. And I honestly just walk over when I need a new book and pluck something off that I think I'll be in the mood for, which isn't necessarily maybe the best strategy. Um, a lot of my reading this last year and in the coming year is going to be dictated by the Exhale Book Club schedule, which I, I lead the Exhale Book Club. Um, we read one book per month. So I already know 12 books that I'm going to be reading in 2012. And I have you know tracked them down, found them, and purchased them. They are on my shelf. I'm going to read them. Um, I also have an in real life book club that meets every other month. And so as people share what book they're picking for the next time around, I tend to put those on hold at the library. I don't know if I'll make much of a dent in my to be read shelf in the coming year because they're all physical books. And I think I'm going to be leaning towards ebooks, as I've already mentioned. So what about you? Do you have a strategy that you're going to implement for walking through that unread shelf? Uh, not really. I kind of do the same thing that you do where I just look at the shelf and then I'm like, okay, this is what I feel like mm -hmm. reading right now. Um, I do want to put in a plug for an Instagram account called the unread shelf. Uh, it's run by Whitney Connard and she has a, um, challenge she hosts every year where she posts like a, I don't know, it'll be like the shortest book on your unread shelf or the book that you've had on your unread shelf for the longest amount of time. <laughs> um, that kind of thing where it tells you which book to take off your unread shelf. And then the challenge is that for that month, you have to read that book. And if you don't read it that month, you have to get rid of it. Ooh, so some yes, there are some stakes. So that is encouraging if you need a little bit of motivation to get through that, or if you even just need help choosing what to go for off your unread shelf, even if you're not going to get rid of it because you don't want to do that. Um, it still gives you a little bit of guidance as you narrow down like oh where do I start so that's a fun account to follow and then she has a little what do you call that when people repost things in stories like the little graphics and then people can fill in their own oh, information like the little like bingo-y things or whatever yeah um, I don't I don't even know what they're I called but but yeah where she she's has like these the the shortest book on yourself the longest book the book you love the most she has like the little fill in the right. blank screenshotty thing Yes, the screenshots. Okay. okay, so she has, we'll call them screenshots. Everyone <laughs> knows what we're talking about. So she'll have those um, nicely designed screenshots in her stories where every month you can say, like, how many new books you acquired and how many books you read <laughs> and how your, how your unread shelf is doing. It basically helps you keep a tally and you can report that in your stories every month and there's a hashtag. So it's kind of a fun little community to follow along with um, if you are interested in reducing the number of books in your house that you have not read. Yes, like kind of publicly shaming yourself into reading them. I like it. <laughs> a little bit, yes, except everyone is feeling equally shamed. Exactly. So. <laughs> That's the perfect kind of shame, though. 
uh, yes. collective shame. Uh, so what are you reading right now? So what are you going to ring in the new year with? Um, so as soon as I finish A Thousand Acres, I have two more library holds, of course, to finish <laughs> up. Uh, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert just came in. I've been on the list for that one forever. I have not read any of her fiction before, I don't think. I'm trying to think if I have. I yeah, don't think I have. I read the book about the botanist, and I'm trying to think of what it's called. The Signature of All Things. And okay. it was very good. Did, I remember it being like literally 500 pages long, but being very well done. Well, that's good. So I'm excited because I feel like Liz Gilbert is someone that I quote unquote know. Like we've listened to her podcast mm-hmm. episodes. We've um, read Big Magic five million times. So I am very interested to see what her fiction is like. And then the other book I have on hand is called The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker, which is a young adult's sort of sci-fi-ish, I think. Um, It's about the slowing. So the world is slowing down and how that's affecting things on Earth and then also, of course, these teenagers that the book is about. So that's what I will be reading through the rest of December. How about you? That sounds really good. Um, I am trying to get ahead on the 2020 Exhale Book Club um, for because of maternity leave coming right up at the beginning of the year. So I'm currently reading our February pick, which is A Place for Us by Fatima Farhan Mirza. And I, I've heard really good things about this book, which is one of the reasons I picked it. And I also picked it because it's a bit of an immigrant story and it's written by a woman of color. And we're trying to incorporate more of that into both my own personal reading, but also into the Excel book club. Um, and so far I'm about halfway through and it's really, really, really good. So I can recommend that one already, even though I have no idea where it's going or how it's going to turn out. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now. And then I'm also in the middle of searching for Sunday, which is subtitled loving, leaving and finding the church by Rachel held Evans. And I have actually never read a Rachel held Evans book, even though I own several, And so sadly, when she passed away earlier this year, I kind of added it to my list of, I really should tackle a few of these. And this is one that is kind of meeting me right where I am personally. Um, Scott and I have started attending or started trying to attend uh, a, a newer church or at least a church closer to home is kind of our goal. And so we're in the middle of congregations at the moment and I feel like reading a book about someone else who did the same is kind of helping me deal with a little bit of the emotions of that. That sounds like a really good fit for right now. I love when books meet you where you're at at just the right time. That's perfect. Yeah. So what else is on deck for you for books coming up in the new year? Yeah. So hilariously, we both have the question, our answer to this question from last year, and both of us had books on the list that we have never read yet. Uh, so for me, I said last year, I was like, oh, I'm going to read Barbara Kingsolver's Unsheltered. Still haven't read it. Haven't even taken it off the shelf. <laughs> so, And that's one for me that I did not finish this oh, year. Too funny. So what did you yeah. say that you wanted to read last year that you have not yet read? Um, a couple. So The Shadowland by Elizabeth Kostova, which I actually bought um, more than a year ago when I went to visit you at your house yeah. for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was hoping to get to it this fall and I didn't. So it's still on my list. I am hoping for this winter. Um, Next up is On Stories by C.S. Lewis, which I am hopefully going to read in January. So 
my husband and I are going to Ireland for 10 days and I am trying to read all books that have some sort of an Irish connection while we're there. So I think that's going to be my choice for a C.S. Lewis pick for Ireland. And then I got a bunch of really great um, fiction recommendations when I was asking around on Instagram. So some other things that I might have coming up in January are Circle of Nine, which you had recommended by Valerie Beale. What the Wind Knows by Amy Harmon is one I'm looking into. There's one called The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary. So I need to go through all of these really great fiction recommendations people gave me about Ireland and hopefully get those read while we're on our trip in January. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I'm going to try to read a book that I got as a gift last Christmas that I still haven't read called Green Dolphin Street by Elizabeth Gouge. And this was gifted to me because it is apparently one of J.K. Rowling's favorite authors, maybe even her favorite children's book. Um, so I really want to sit down and savor this one. It's a, it's a fairly hefty book. Um, so I'm going to try to do that once I wrap up work ahead of maternity leave and while we're waiting for a new baby to arrive. I think that's going to be a sweet spot for reading something that I've been wanting to read for a while but just haven't found the right time. Yes, that sounds absolutely perfect. It does. So what about you? What kind of goals do you think you're going to set? Reading goals specifically, I guess. Reading goals, yes. I don't know. (laughs) I think I might just try to zero in more on the books that I want to read and less on what just came out or what everyone else is talking about, which I used to be really good at ignoring. And it's gotten harder with Instagram and podcasts and everybody recommending things and talking about things. And I think I just need to be more honest with myself about the kind of books that I love and pursue those books and maybe ignore everything else. Yeah, that I love that. That's such a good, that's such a good way to take care of yourself in the new year. Um, I mean, dare we call it self-care? I think so. (laughs) Yes, I think it counts. How about you? Yeah. So for me, I think I've said this already, but I'm having a new baby. So to be determined what my goals are other than to just keep reading and try to hold all of my plans loosely. So (laughs) it's it's kind of a goalless year, which I think is any year when you have a new baby, but especially a January baby. Yes. Very, very true. Yeah. So we wish everyone out there a really happy holiday and a great new year. And we hope that your reading and creative lives in 2020 get off to a great start this January. Absolutely. And we hope you read a lot of great books that you can't wait to talk about. And if there's anything that you think we should read, definitely let us know. Uh, We're usually on Instagram, so you can definitely find us there and give us book suggestions anytime. listening to the chasing creative podcast if you like what you heard in this episode be sure to stop by chasingcreative.com to check out the show notes catch up on past episodes and subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed this episode we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on apple podcasts you can also join in the creative conversation by finding us on instagram at abigail e Krebs or at ashley brooks writes or by using the hashtag chasing creative on twitter or instagram If you have any feedback for us, drop us a line at chasingcreativepodcast at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening. Until next time, go chase what makes you creative. Creative.